The virtual CISO moment is brought to you by VCISO Services, a leading provider of quality and experienced virtual chief information security officers for small and mid-sized businesses. Check them out at vcisoservices.com. All right, the doors are closing, so we're going to get started. Thank you all for coming. My name is Greg Schaefer. I'm the principal with VCISO Services. We are a small consulting firm in Franklin, Tennessee, and we provide virtual chief information security officer services for small and mid-sized businesses, including banks and credit unions and the like. A little bit about me, because I think it's important to have a little bit of context here. I've got 32 plus years experience starting out in IT back before it was even called IT and then migrating to information security and about 15 years at the CISO level. I've been doing the virtual CISO thing for over five years now and actually have been doing it solo, meaning that I wasn't doing it as a side for just about five years now completely. Um, I was the first co-chair of the FSISAC Community Institution Council. Some of you may be familiar with that. That was back in 2012, if I remember correctly. We had 15 members. All that to say that I have significant experience. That was when I was a bank CISO. Uh, I'm an author. I have uh, published some novels, and I've also published this book, uh, Information Security for Small and Mid-Sized Businesses. If you're interested in it, just come by the table, and you can have a free copy. If you want me to sign it, I'll sign it as well. Uh, and I'm also a podcast host. This is something that I started just recently. I am host of the Virtual CISO Moment, and what I do is interview folks in the information security space that have interesting stories about where they've come, what they're doing in cyber, and what they're trying to do to help small and mid-sized businesses. So enough of that. We need to know first what a virtual CISO is. I'm sure you've heard the term. It's usually a part-time. It could be on-site or it could be virtual, which is really what the V is. First of all, a virtual CISO is a consultant, not an employee, 1099 not an officer of the company, not someone with signature authority, not any of those types of responsibilities, usually reports to the same type of reporting structure that you would see the CISO reporting to. So a lot of times, uh, virtual CISO reports to the director or the CIO of IT, um, for example. So it's, it's a consultant, and the consultant brings valuable experience from their previous engagements and their current engagements. And that's going to be important later on as I talk a little bit further. They, uh, the the skill set is very important when understanding what a virtual CISO can do for you and for the credit union. They become a valued team member. All of our engagements, and again, our, our engagements include but are not limited to financial services. We, we work with some credit unions and a couple of banks right now, but we also work with other verticals, and it's not limited to just within the United States as well. Uh, we're, we're, we've got a client in the Caribbean. But in order for it to work, just like the chief information security officer, the virtual CISO has to be a valued team member. It can't be just a consultant, period, just stop there, somebody who just comes in and, like, checks the box for you. And what happens here is that then the credit union results in having increased information security just by bolstering the posture of the organization. So everything with regards to information security. Now you've heard me use the term information security and not cybersecurity, and there's a reason for that. Depending upon who you ask, you get different answers to this. 
But the way I view the difference between information security and cybersecurity is that cybersecurity is a subset of information security. Cyber is the technical controls. Uh, information security is the overall program. And that's really what you need. It's a risk management position. That gets us to two, uh, the second line of defense. The three lines of defense, briefly, first line is your operational management. So in terms of information security, that would be the cyber. That would be the firewall management, the SIM management, the actual nuts and bolts of everything that's cyber. Second line, risk management. That's where the CISO or the virtual CISO needs to fit in. And then third line is audit, and they keep the first and second line honest. It's important to understand the types of virtual CISOs that are out there. And I suppose that probably five years ago, this slide would have been not necessary. Because back then, the virtual CISO was, in essence, someone like me, someone who had had much experience as a chief information security officer full-time for various positions, and then decided that for whatever reason, they wanted to become a consultant. Now, for me, uh, it's a measure of giving back. I realized that I had some talents that I could better utilize by helping small and mid-sized businesses that couldn't afford a full-time security officer. We kind of priced ourselves out of the business. So it's important to know different types of CISOs now because the market has exploded. You see everybody, it seems like, is putting the CISO on their LinkedIn profile. So we're going to go through these um, in a little bit more detail, but just briefly, the five that I've identified, and there's probably more, or maybe you can mix and match some of these together, but for the purposes of today, we'll just do the five. Experienced CISO I just talked about, someone who's experienced in risk management, so almost someone who was at the CISO level, but they know enough about risk management, second line of defense, that they can provide the risk management experience that the credit union needs. Experienced IT security management, well, okay, now we're getting more blending into second and first line. So they've got some good elements in first line, maybe some in second line. They've worked with risk management and audit, so they kind of understand the concept of controls and also about risk mitigation, but maybe doesn't have, doesn't have that much experience in that field. Then I get a little further down. I'm just going to call them the sort of experienced, and we'll go into a little bit more detail on them, and then in name only. And... That's a problem that I think we're seeing more and more of. So this is what I would like to term what an experienced virtual CISO is. Somebody who's had at least five years of senior information security experience. So not necessarily somebody who has held the, the CISO title, because really, if you think about it, the title in itself is meaningless. If you're not reporting to the board or to the C-suite or to the, to the CEO, that C is meaningless. You're a chief of nothing. But if you were the senior executive in an organization, senior information security executive, well then, that's fine. They have to have significant senior management and board communication. How many times do you think about that, that you have to be able to communicate very quickly when you go into the board in particular? Uh, I usually will say that you've got 10 minutes tops. And you better be on your game, you better know your metrics, you better know exactly what you're going to be able to tell them, and you better tell it in their language. And you need to know how to do that. You don't want to be learning on the job. Uh, deep risk management experience, I kind of touched on that a little bit more, but understanding how to do a risk assessment, it'd be great if they understood 
how to do a quantitative risk assessment as well too because that's something that's very important. There are various methods to do it. I'm open, fair, certified myself. Certification. In our firm, we require that our virtual ISOs have at least a current CISSP. Now, I'm not big on certifications. You got people that have like 85 letters after their names and like some people can test really well. But at the very least, some baseline certifications, they do demonstrate basic knowledge and usually act in the information security community. So, and the one last thing I wanted to mention is that as the field has matured, we see more uh, virtual CISOs that are coming up organically through virtual CISO firms such as ours. So, uh, someone who served as a deputy virtual CISO, for example, they may not have had that experience in the full-time world beforehand, but that doesn't mean that they can't be a valued member. Risk management, it's very much the, similar to what we were just talking about, just maybe leaving out the, the having to have had that title of um, information security officer or chief information security officer or that role. Still should have um, certification, uh, should be active in the information security community. What, what I mean by that is that it's not just something to put on your resume or anything like that. It's, it's, you have to have a pulse to the threat environment, the risk environment, and what things are going on all out there. And being active in the secu uh, security community, such as going to conferences like this, you get to network, you get to understand what's going on. Often starts as a deputy CIO, or CISO rather, VCISO. Here's where we're kind of mixing uh, levels one and two. Now here, this is where you see sometimes more of the virtual CISOs that are offered by MSPs. And I want to caution you, we'll talk about vetting a little bit later, but I want to caution you about the, the types of virtual CISOs sometimes that the managed security service providers will offer because they probably don't, well, I shouldn't say probably, but in a lot of cases, they don't really have significant risk management experience. And so if you're okay with that, I mean, I often say that I can drop the virtual CISO into two buckets. And one bucket we'll work with, one bucket we won't. The bucket we won't is if a prospect comes to us and they just want to become compliant with some alphabet soup regulation. And I'm sorry, I'm too old. <laughs> you know, I'm doing this as sort of like my prelude to retirement. I love what I'm doing. I, I, I'm trying to make a difference. And having people check the box for something not only doesn't bring them any further, usually, to a relevant security program, it could, also, it could actually be a detriment. So we won't work with those. But then there's the other box that, about building a security program, which is what we love. But if you don't have the necessary first uh, uh, risk management experience, it's kind of difficult to be able to help build that program. You can check the box. So again, if you want to have a virtual CISO, like in the credit union world, y'all have had regulators coming most likely and either kind of inferring or maybe outrightly saying, it's just like you cannot have IT and InfoSec commingle. They have to have some sort of separation there. Now, if you can manage it well, well then that's fine. And if you can show the controls that manage that, that well, then that's fine. But a lot of times it's very difficult, particularly to prove when the examiners come around. And we go down to the sort of experience. Now these are people that they're just starting out in the field and they could very well uh, be one of those MSSP VCSOs, but they really have only been an analyst level. And again, trying to understand who your virtual CISO is is going to go a long way towards how you secure your credit union. And this goes for small and mid-sized businesses as well. But 
This is a credit union conference. They could be inflating their experience, not like we've ever seen that on LinkedIn, sometimes happens. Uh, they may then bring less value to your client than value gained from client. Uh, I will explain that a little bit when I get to the last one right here, so I want to tell a little story. This in name only. On LinkedIn, about a month and a half ago, I see some smirks, you might know what I'm talking about. On LinkedIn, about a month and a half ago, there was a poster who was wanting to give great advice to how to break into the cybersecurity field. Because for some people, it's, di it's difficult. They're trying all sorts of things. They're, they're doing try hack me and putting top 1% on their LinkedIn profiles, which apparently is not that meaningful as far as a metric goes. I haven't done try hack me yet, but it's an interesting thing. Um, but this one person suggested all you need to do is just put VCSO in your title and then what you can do is that you can start working as a virtual CISO pro bono for small companies. And then from there you can gain the experience and you can, I think the phrase was, you can work out the kinks in your method. And you can then become virtual CISO. Well, there's two problems with that. The first problem is that the business is not getting what they need and what they contracted for. In fact, on my podcast, I had a guest a few weeks ago who I always ask the question, what's the most significant threat to small and mid-sized businesses? And most of the time people say, oh, it's ransomware right now. You know, that's, that's the one du jour. His response was probably the best that I've heard. It was bad advice because that can sink a business, that can sink your credit union more than not because you're paying, you're not paying for like cycles of work. This is not a tactical thing. This is a strategic thing and you have to remember that. So when you, the other, the other problem with that is, before I forget, is for those, unfortunately, who took that advice, they're basically learning how to lie. And if you lie in the world of information security and cybersecurity, it's a very small world out there. People know people. So, so now that we know what some of the types of CISOs are, I want to go through some of the reasons why you either have or might be considering a virtual CISO. And you don't necessarily have to not have a chief information security officer or an, an ISO, an information security officer. Um, we work with several firms where they, they have a CISO in place, but what we can do is that we, we kind of augment it with experience, because not all CISOs are, are minted alike. We all have like different backgrounds and strengths and so forth, and sometimes too it's like, it's expensive to hire people, and doing it part-time can be beneficial. So you might want to meet compliance. Now, meeting compliance by itself is not the best thing, but meeting compliance as part of an overall security program, that's great. And usually, I like to say, it's usually the other way around. If you have a solid security program, you'll be compliant like, to 95% of most of the frameworks out there. So uh, even if you're like baseline on the CAT, you, know, you should be fine with like NIST, CSF, and those sorts of things. Achieve separation of duties. We kind of talked about that a little bit before. It is, th th there's more to that as well. And I should have put this down as a sub bullet or maybe as an extra bullet, but it's also adding the experience. So you might have someone who's very well versed as an IT director or CIO and also is doing the security, but they could benefit from the extra, not only separation, but also extra input. Because CISOs are usually well versed in the IT world as well too. Working examiners and auditors, I often tell people that one of the best things that a virtual CISO can do is sort of be a translator. So in the world, when an examiner comes in, an examiner says, you don't have this control in place, you need to put it in. 
Well, do you really? You can look at your compensating controls. And if you don't have someone in your IT department who's competent at talking about risk mitigation and can make that argument, then you might end up spending more money on a tool because IT people love to spend money on tools. Now, that's not to say information security or uh, IT security folks don't either. We spend a lot of money on tools. And that's, that's why there's a lot of vendors out here. So, um, Enhance and uh, manage the information security program. Again, it's not just about cyber. It's, it's the, everything holistically into a program. So like one example would be business continuity tabletop exercises. Got to do it. Sometimes can be a pain, sometimes not. We like to create a kind of fun scenario every year. I have to be a little careful about it because in 2019, that summer, the scenario that we ran was for a pandemic. And people were like, we're never going to have a pandemic. Why are we doing this? And then, of course, we all know what happened. So now every time when I bring a scenario around, it's like I, I was going to do a, a, a nuclear strike that had to do, deal with EMPs this year. And one of my clients said, no, 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 please don't do that. So, but maybe, that would be a pretty, pretty good one. So, um, virtual CISO can be short term. If you're looking for something to kind of bridge between when you had a security officer and they left and then you bring in a new one, that's cool. Uh, it can be long term as well too. Uh, many of our clients we've worked for for, well, we've been in business for five years. I've got uh, two or three clients that I've been with the entire five year. And then for the most part, every virtual CISO client that we brought on, we've kept. So it's a long-term engagement that gets back to the, becomes a valued member of your team. And that's really important when we're talking about how a virtual CISO can benefit a credit union as well too, because this isn't like, you don't want to look at the virtual CISO as being uh, an outlier. You, you want to be sure that it's someone that actually understands your business. So let's talk a little bit about CISO or virtual CISO duties. A lot of it will be the same as what you would have for uh, chief information security officer full-time. Some of it may be a little bit different or a little bit uh, changed in a way, but yeah, looking at policies, procedures, and all of that, good eye on it from a risk management and a framework standpoint. If you want to align with different frameworks, I have that a little bit further down. Well, we, we often have mapped from different frameworks and looking at controls. I always see controls as being the glue that binds the frameworks together. If you're going to want to be, <coughs> excuse me, if you're going to want to be compliant and meet the requirements of more than one framework, it's best that you write your controls in kind of like a more um, vanilla fashion. Uh, sometimes if you're just going to write for one framework, it's kind of easy to take the requirements and then just respin them into control language. I've done that with ISO before, it's, and it's, it's easy to do. But then if someone who's ISO certified and then they want to get SOC 2 certified, it's like, oh, okay, how are we going to map the controls for the um, common criteria? Uh, we chair quarterly committee. Uh, that's kind of a governance thing, so it's a, better, it's a way of looking more at overall governance. Talk about that a little bit more on the bottom, but uh, from that perspective, it kind of looks good from a examiner standpoint, but from a more realistic standpoint, that cross communication across all boundaries, not just whomever it is that we report to. And in financial services, typically we report into the chief risk officer, which yay makes sense, which that was the way all across the board. But here we get exposure to some of the other C-suite. Um, that goes on there is then transmitted to the board. Sometimes we'll talk to the board as well too, but if we don't, what we do is through there. So you have that up and down communication. 
manage risk assessment and the CAT and the ASET. Obviously, those are things that you need. That's regulatory. Um, for those of you who have used that um, ASET or CAT spreadsheet, <laughs> excuse me, spreadsheet, back in the day when the FFIEC first came out with the CAT, it was just this, and it still is, this documentation. It's just a, a document of things you need to do. And so a bunch of us were going through the process of like creating our own spreadsheets for tracking. And somebody, not me, someone way smarter than me said, hey, this was on the CIC that I was talking about, the FSI six channel. Somebody way smarter than me said, hey, why don't we all get together and, and partner with some of the other groups like the American bankers and all that, American Banking Association and other groups, and try to develop something. And thus, that cybersecurity automated tool spreadsheet tool. So tool is in it twice. That's how that came about. Just that's kind of like Cliff Clavin type knowledge there. If you don't know Cliff Clavin, then I'm sorry, I just showed my age. Uh, facilitate the tabletops, I talked about that. Third party vendor management. You don't really see this too much with credit unions from the standpoint of like having to respond to external questionnaires. Sometimes it might happen, but banks usually don't, and credit unions don't really have to respond to those sorts of questionnaires, but we do help with that. And on the flip side, we help with uh, your vendor management program. We understand review SOC 2s as part of the vendor reviews. It's not the end-all, do-all, but it's certainly something a lot, of, a lot of organizations, including financial services, they don't really understand what complementary user entity controls in a SOC 2 are for and why they're important for the organization. We do the mapping to different frameworks, of course, and then broader with regards to governance, risk, and compliance. Uh, they all tie together. We promote the idea of using, using a GRC system. Our firm uses one called Aramba, which if you're interested in playing around with it, they have a free, the community edition. You should be somewhat skilled in Linux in order to um, administer it, but it's a powerful and low cost uh, solution. I think they're $3,500, I think, per year, unlimited license. And they're going to be coming out with a SaaS option. So if anybody's interested about talking about that, I am an Aramba partner. But I love all GRCs. So, uh, well, I love the concept of all GRCs. I've worked in some that are a little bit, but we won't go there. So how do you optimize the virtual CISO, which is really the whole crux of this talk? Needed to talk about all that stuff behind, beforehand to, to lay the foundation. The most important one, I hope you understand, is that you have to vet properly. There's a, been a couple of instances where we've come in behind another virtual CISO that we lost the bid to. I hate saying that because I'm not a salesperson. I'm a security person. I hate, I hate that whole aspect of it, but you got to do it. But a couple of years later, they came back to us and said, hey, are you still interested maybe in working with us? And I'm like, of course we are because they realized that they went more with just bottom line costs. And I'll be quite honest, we're not the cheapest ones out there. I'm not, this isn't a sales thing here, but we are not the cheapest ones out there, but you get what you pay for. If you're just looking again for just checking a box, that's fine. You can, you can get that at, at a great rate. You need to communicate everything to your virtual CISO, good and bad, okay? And this is very important. They're not an auditor. And not, that's not to say that you're not supposed to communicate everything with the auditor. You are. The auditor ideally is supposed to help you as well. But the virtual CISO, in order to understand your organization, you have to remember that they, 
they're not walking around the hallways. They don't pick up these little conversations. I mean, when I was full-time CISO, it's like I could pick up on things. I just go to IT just to like, hey, what's going on? You know, that sort of thing. But here it's like, oh, there's got to be some really good communication. And I'll be straight up, a lot of organizations have a problem with that at first, understanding that aspect of the virtual CISO. Um, again, we can help with the risk assessment. And we're looking at the risks from an outside perspective. So we literally are objective there. We are, we are, we are just there to help you, but we don't, have, we don't play um, any sort of politics. We're not involved in that. Um, have to work with IT, especially work with IT. Uh, I've often said that IT and the security officer, the, the CIO and the CISO, have to be like best, best friends. BFFs, is that what they say? Is that what, best friends forever or something like that? Maybe not forever, yeah, but you know. Uh, include the virtual CISO on as many strategic meetings as you can because we can actually understand if we, rather, if we understand where the credit union is going, whether there's a merger coming up, we might be able to get out proactively with some ideas. That's happened before in the past. Um, we have a better understanding about threat intel and understanding some aspects of that intel that might actually impact the credit union is important as well, too. And consider us a member of your team. That's how this works. That's the secret sauce to the whole thing. I will say that the, any virtual CISO engagement should ideally last uh, at least a year. And the reason for that is just like the chief information security officer, it takes a while to get to know the business. And there's some additional issues with trying to know the business because you're virtual and you're doing this not on site. But the more that the virtual CISO has the opportunity to learn the business, then the better they can serve. And I've seen that typically, I don't think that we really, we really don't become as effective as we can until at least three months into it. Now that's not to say if there's like some immediate tactical stuff that really needs to be done, that's one thing. But remember, that's tactical and virtual CISO is strategic. And when all is said and done, how to optimize your virtual CISO is to understand that they are a strategic partner, not a tactical partner. If you want a tactical partner, you can probably go elsewhere. Now, the chief information security officer's role and the virtual chief information security officer's role is the same. The way I like to define that, their, their most important duty is to provide that information so that the C-suite and the board of directors can make risk-informed decisions. So when you're looking at optimizing your virtual CISO, you have to look at, look at it through those lenses. How can you make that happen for them? And that's all I have. Here's my contact information. Would love it if you check out the podcast. Um, if you have any questions or would like to talk more, I'm out there. Uh, if you want to have a, get a, copy, a free copy of the book. But got about a minute or two left, so any questions? So in Toastmasters, they say, count in, in your head, count to seven. And if you don't get anything, then there's probably no questions. So I appreciate your time. Thank you very much.